Welcome to the Link Adelaide podcast. This is Stephen Moylan. And uh, just over a week ago, I sat down with Yasmin Garibu to talk about uh, her latest work, Eurydice, by Sarah Rule, uh, which is going to be presented at Plant 1 Fifth Street in Bowdoin uh, from the 27th of October through to the 7th of November. Um, we chatted because she was running a possible campaign for the project. Um, details are at Foul Play Theatre's Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Foul Play Theatre, um, looking to raise, raise $3,500 uh, for the show. Um, there's very intriguing carbon neutral uh, ideas behind the putting together of the show. And uh, Yasmin's got a great way of directing and putting shows together here in Adelaide. Um, we chatted about that and uh, trying encouraging people to make donations uh, to the show um, so that the show can get up and running. So uh, please enjoy the interview. Sorry, it's uh, come quite late. Um, I've had some family things going on that uh, has delayed me, unfortunately. Um, the campaign, I'm happy to say, has reached its target over the last couple of days. It does close today, Friday the 28th of August, um, but if you want to head to Possible and throw some extra dollars their, their way, please do. Otherwise, make sure you check out Eurydice's by Sarah Rule and Foul Play Theatre at um, Plant One in Bowdoin uh, from October through into November. Um, other thing I will mention before I get into the interview is that we do mention uh, Don't Look Back from the Adelaide Festival. Um, I just went through. It was by Dream Think Speak and uh, presented as part of the 2008 Adelaide Festival of Arts uh, via Arts Projects Australia. So it was an amazing show, but I reckon Eurydice's by Sarah Rule uh, and Foul Play Theatre is going to be even better. Uh, look out for it here in Adelaide at the end of October, early November. Here's the interview. Thank you. And I'm joined uh, by Yasmin Grebu, who is directing for Foul Play uh, Eurydice. How do you say that? I don't even know how to say it properly. Um, Foul Play later on this year, currently running a possible campaign to help fundraise for it. And uh, we'll clear it up from the start. You've just got off the plane from the UK, so could be a little bit slow and jet lagged. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, better than expected, but yeah, yeah, my head's a little bit fuzzy. Have you been over in Edinburgh? Uh, no, just London actually. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't get up, get a chance to go to the festival this time. Yeah, what have you been up to in London? Uh, so I was catching up with old colleagues and old yeah. friends, and I did get to do a workshop for three days with Dominic Cook who's associate at the National Theatre, looking at directing, so it's kind of a professional development for directors. Oh, wow. So I got to do that for three days, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, tell me about the project. So, uh, Ubidices, um is by Sarah Rule, and it's the premiere of the production in South Australia. Yeah. First time, so we're very excited yeah, awesome. about that. Um, and I read the play maybe about five years ago now, and... When I read it, I was like, I have to do this play. Mm -hmm. And this is the first kind of opportunity I've had to actually look at the play, which I'm very excited about. Um, and it kind of fits in with Foul Play's remit, because kind of we look at um, classical works, whether that be myths or classic um, you know, literature. Mm -hmm. and we look at work and we look at it in a contemporary context, um, predominantly through a prism of fe feminism. Yep. Um, and so this version of Ulysses uh, is a modern uh, version of the myth, mm -hmm. and it uh, has Eurydice as a protagonist, as opposed to normally it's kind of Orpheus, normally yeah. it's Orpheus' myth, um, and so it kind of fits in with all the remit of what Foul plays about, um, and so that's kind of why I wanted to do it, and it's also yeah. part of a triptych of work, 
So yeah. um, Ulysses is one. The second one is a new version of Miss Julie, which has been written by Holly Winley. Awesome. Um, and then uh, the, the third piece is called The Persophony Project, which will, again will be a new piece of writing by Nikki Bloom. So that's yeah. for the next three years or so. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so it's uh, a triptych of work, and it's basically based on me and my two sisters. Yes. Um, and so uh, Miss Julie's meant to be kind of based on me and like the woman who's a choice maker. Um, Eurydice's is uh, looking at kind of the unrealized woman and what does that mean? What does that actually mean? Yeah. Um, and Persophony is kind of the woman objectified. So it's kind of the different angles we're looking at. Yeah. Um, and the project is we're doing it in Plant One in Bowdoin. It's where we did our Macbeth um, last year. Um, and uh, it's been awesome. We've been funded by Renewal SA for yep. space. So we've kind of got oh, the space really in kind. Cool. I mean, yeah. we wouldn't be able to do it without their support. So that's really awesome. Um, and we've got uh, seven actors involved. We've got Annabelle Matheson, who's uh, the lead, who's mm -hmm. um, Eurydice's. And then we've got Anton Yelk, who's uh, Orpheus. Patrick Foss, who's the father. And the father's kind of an introduced character. Mm -hmm. um, it's not normally in the original myth, um, yeah. but it's really great introducing that character. And it really kind of supports the ideas um, around memory and kind of loss loss I mean, the bit plays uh, there's a big part of the play around um, loss and in our society today we kind of don't really have lots of conversation around yeah. what it is to lose someone it's kind of a part that's hidden away mm -hmm. um, and I know myself I find it quite uncomfortable talking to people when they have lost I don't even know what to say but yeah. it's a really kind of beautiful piece that does look at that about what it is what it does mean to lose someone um, and then we've got uh, three stones who are played by Katie Shearer Gray himself and Emma Bardry, and then we've got a fantastic character called the Nasty Interesting Man, who also plays um, the kind of child of the underworld, who's basically Hades. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, Eddie Morrison. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So it's a great, great cast. Yeah. And we've got a great creative team involved, and that's uh, Meg Wilson who's doing the design. And Meg Wilson comes from um, a visual arts background. Yeah. Um, and it's been wonderful so far working with her with regards to conceptualizing what the set will be and how the warehouse space will be used um, yeah. and then we've got Anthony I can't say his surname so I'm not even going to say it right now and I apologize Anthony because I've never <laughs> said it out loud uh, who's our composer and he's working with the cast to create a vocal landscape that actually kind of works in the architecture of the space yep. so nothing's kind of pre-recorded everything's live oh, um, wow. which is really exciting and actually that kind of that's kind of um, how the production is that everything is done by ourselves yeah. so the actors will do all the lighting as well they'll manipulate all the lighting yeah. uh, everything's kind of begged borrowed and steeled with regard to the production in the sense of the lighting that we were using so it's what people have at home yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, all the kind of set pieces again of things that we kind of beg borrowed and steeled yeah. to make this production work and it's some, kind of something with a lot of arts, arts budget cuts and things like that, maybe you have to do you're doing a puzzle campaign to make enough money so you can pay your actors and stuff like that. It's so hard to make work these days financially viable, and so with this project, you seem to have you've really gone down the track that you want to be entirely renewable. You don't have any waste with the production, and you want to be sort of self-sourcing with everything. Yeah. Um, I think that's also to do with kind of ethically we want to do, you yeah. know, we kind of want to do, and I know for Foul Play, leading Foul Play, I'm interested in that kind of being a model in the future, because yeah. um, it's something that we just need to 
consider actually all yeah. the time in the sense of what it what does it do to the environment yeah. and how can we make things sustainable yeah. so I'm really excited this is kind of the first production that will be uh, carbon free at the end of it we have a company that's going to be donating uh, trees to offset our carbon footprint yeah. which is fantastic but yeah uh, I think that's going to be a model that will take forward that our productions will hopefully be sustainable yeah. in the future. And does it limit your creativity in any way or does the fact that you have to keep within those kind of parameters of keeping everything carbon neutral mean that you have to be kind of more creative in a sense to um, make things work? I kind of, I, f I get quite excited by working with uh, strict parameters in a sense because I actually you might yeah sometimes actually when you when it's so broad it can be even more challenging to kind yeah. of be creative when you can do anything and actually the idea yeah, not that big coach go past um, but the idea that uh, there are certain parameters around the way that we have to work yeah I find that exciting yeah. actually and um, a lot of I mean we've done a two-day workshop already a few weeks ago looking at how we're going to present the work in the space mm -hmm. um, and from what was already found in the space that kind of inspired us and yeah. has already aided in our thinking around the production so some of the things we just literally borrowed that were already in the space and we're like yeah that works great and that's kind of given us ideas about how we will use the space yeah. and things we want in the space so actually in this scenario I, fi I, fi I don't find it restrictive at all mm. I find it quite yeah I find it I thought, yeah, I just find it really um, yeah. interesting and I think, yeah, ideas have come from that and it's not kind of thwarted our creativity yeah. in any way. And there's something really cool that I think the independent theatre scene and the fringe theatre scene, they get this benefit in using found spaces, using kind of non-traditional black box theatre spaces in that you have these spaces that you have to make work and they, it allows you to really use the space so it becomes that the audience walk into something that is already part of the show and an integral part of the show yeah. so you know it's, it's very very hard to kind of suspend your disbelief that you're in a room and why not kind of own the fact that it's a room and create a world out of that yeah absolutely um now in terms of the the orpheus myth i remember years ago here in adelaide um the adelaide festival ran an international, international production called don't look back okay that was a telling of the orpheus myth in the Treasury building, uh -huh. and it was a site-specific, site kind of got to tour around, I think you essentially were Orpheus, and there were various different, um, whole lot of actors part of it, all these little scenes you walked through, and your name was kind of descending through, I don't know, sort of, it's, you're just going, you're essentially going through as Orpheus, and at the end, I think you went down and left open to show you sort of staring in the face of your security there. Ah, okay. And then you have to take, like, then, then the whole thing's over. It's kind of it was yeah. really, really. I do it no justice at all talking about it. <laughs> but it was one of the most kind of amazing works that I've seen oh, that I saw that year. Sort of. What would you know who the company was? Uh, I can look that up. I'll be able to remember that very soon, thanks to my laptop. <laughs> um, but like, it's quite a powerful myth, the Orpheus myth. And, what does it sound mean? You're doing this as part of the triptych of work that you're going to do over the next three years. Mm. Um, but what's attracted you to this myth and going from Eurydice's point of view? Well, I guess I'm kind of quite instinctive in how I choose work. Um, and when I read this piece, I literally was like, I have to do this piece. 
Um, and so it was kind of always in the back of my mind. And when I started thinking about what was important to me, what did I feel, what did I have to say? Because I kind of make work around what, what's of interest to me and what my, where my thinking is at that time and what yeah. I, I feel like I passionately want to talk about and what I, I want to say. And so it kind of made sense. It joined up really easily with Eurydice's in that sense. Um, and I love kind of her style of writing, Sarah Rule's style of mm -hmm. writing. It's really lyrical, and there's something for me that I'm interested in work that rhythmically kind of um, moves me in some way. So I yeah. think it's really beautifully written. Um, and so that was a big pull for me. Um, and also kind of the triangle with regards to Eurydice's relationship with her dad and Eurydice's relationship with her husband, with Orpheus. Mm. Um, and that, like I said, actually was really similar to my sister, like I said, my younger sister's kind of what her life, how her life is kind of, her pause between the new family and the old family and what that yep. is. And also kind of just parents and kind of the parental impact on someone and it kind of like, who, who are you in relation to your parents? I'm kind of interested in that as well. It's like, what mm. do you, what do you, um, what are you given by your parents? What does that mean? Who, who, are, who are you in the sense of your relationship to your parents? I'm kind of interested in that moment and kind of what you pick up from them and what you inherit in the sense of kind of your attitudes, your belief, mm -hmm. belief system, all that kind of stuff. So I'm quite interested in that at the moment. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I've kind of gone off on <laughs> that massively. Right. No. Um, and uh, around kind of, I've always, I'm also kind of interested in male vulnerability in my work. So definitely kind of the feminism prism, but also male vulnerability. Mm. So when I did and No More Shall We Part, that was a big pull for me wanting to do that piece around the character Don and his male vulnerability. Yeah. Um, I was interested in Duff's vulnerability in Macbeth. Um, and here again, it's kind of looking Orpheus and the father, both of those um, characters are very vulnerable characters and kind of mm. how they're presented. Um, and I was kind of, I'm really interested in that as well. I've seen a kind of a softer ma male kind of yeah. qualities that come out. I'm kind of interested in that. Which in a sense becomes a more real sense of masculinity because masculinity isn't just strong, sporty, Oh, absolutely. There's a massive spectrum, isn't there? Yeah, a massive spectrum. And I guess we're kind of represented on one side more so. We see so much more of one side than we do of the other. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of I'm interested in. Because with regards to the fe feminism's prison, I'm also very aware about male oppression as well. It's not just women's oppression, that males are kind of fully yeah. oppressed as well. Um, and so in my work, I do try and create a have that balance of kind of perspective around yeah. stuff. So, yeah, that kind of does more, it quite nicely. The more kind of feminism gets the word out, it's, kind of, it's, it's, it's all just about relating to other people and having empathy and stuff like that, regardless of whether it's empathy to whether women or men are like there's no difference in what that is and you just have to respect other people so, so that we're all equals we're absolutely, all equals absolutely we're all human beings and equals um do you do you have some what what are some of your you obviously know the script fairly well now there, there are a few points that you're really looking forward to telling on stage uh there there is so um, i'm kind of i'm working with um the i've got an assistant director on the project uh tobias booth remis who i've worked oh, with he's awesome. He's, he's awesome. Yes. um i was associate director for him on wonderland last year yeah um and we've worked together before in the past and so i've kind of he, I, he's got a great eye but also i'm really interested in him making sure that i stay in the physical realm of working because yeah. also my background is in physical theater but generally mm. the work that i've created has not been that physical so i'm really interested in making sure that this piece does have a physical heart and I think that reflects mm. the language of the piece and how it's written yeah. and there's um, a couple of moments so I don't know how um, 
how uh, explicit I should be, but there's one moment when Ulysses does die. I'm really interested in that moment, how we yeah. kind of present that physically. Because also, I mean, a big part of the um, text, uh, it actually says, I think, for the designer, it's like meant to be the designer's playground of kind mm. of creating these worlds. And we're quite limited within our space. Yeah. So um, I'm kind of will be using light and, like I said, that physical world to present the two different worlds. Yeah. Um, kind of, the, I've been, I'm calling it the underground and the overground at the moment, but basically kind of <laughs> Hades and the underworld. Yeah. Kind of life as we know it on the top. But that's my underground and overground at the moment. So I'm really interested and excited about that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm excited about kind of the river where you kind of get dunked into to forget and kind of the representation of that and how that will unfold I'm really really excited about that yeah cool. um, and I'm like, very very excited there's lots of things I'm obviously excited about yeah <laughs> um, about uh, the vocal work in the space yeah. and already we've been playing around with that a lot and I'm quite surprised by what one can do and especially with Anthony's kind of expertise in that area about what mm. we can do vocally with just the actors voices yeah. it's quite astounding and obviously with all with the actors there and their training. I know Eddie has done lots of musical kind of theatre work and children's theatre and rock bands and all that kind of stuff. So he's going to have a voice. So Devil's going to have a voice, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and stuff like with because I know Tobia is dance trained through ACR through the College of the Arts there. Mm-hmm. So you with the movement with physical theatre stuff, you'll be bringing in some dance elements to the work as well, or is it purely physical? Uh, it, what is that line between yeah, yeah, like true. dance and physical theatre? Um, and it's yeah, it's kind of I would say movement, yep. sort of movement rather than dance. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there will be kind of movement elements to help the transition through the worlds. I would say, and also a physical quality for all the characters in the sense of how they move. So quite articulate in the way that they move, and really chosen and considered yeah. kind of uh, the physical aspects of characterisation. Yeah. And in some sense. In some senses, with a lot of traditional theatre, you don't normally have the luxury of having someone who is so physically trained in the room every day with that kind of directorial eye as well. So it's kind of a really nice rarity that you can enjoy and yeah. really make useful and absolutely essential as well. It's so important how the bodies move in the space. I think there's a quite a lot of models. I mean, there's a lots of uh, directors in the UK in particular that do yep. actually work with the movement director. Yeah. So they kind of have that support and there's kind of more awareness around that, of having that um, that a person who has those skills in the rehearsal room. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, there's people in the state who have used yeah. uh, movement directors as well in the past. So I think it is kind of in people's consciousness. Perhaps sometimes it's not part of, it's not, they're not able to because of budget reasons. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I do think it is kind of in people's consciousness. And I suppose, um, getting back to kind of the point of doing this interview now, because we're a little bit away from you actually putting the show on, because mm-hmm. you start at the end of October, I believe. That's right, yeah. Um, but at the moment, you're running the Possum campaign. Like, yes. tell me what reaching the campaign goal, the campaign goal is about $3,500. $3, mm-hmm. um, what does that do? So it's, we're hoping to raise the money to cover the cost of the licensing of the play, mm-hmm. which is actually quite a lot of money, yeah. um, and to pay for public liability insurance for the venue. Um, now, the only cost that we do have to pay for the venue is kind of over hours security costs, because yeah. uh, that's actually a pers- personnel cost. Um, and also to anything, any little bits that we do need to buy is to yeah. cover those costs. Yeah. So that's what the 3,500 would be towards. Um, and if 
and we, what that actually means is that the box office can then be um, it's a, a co-pro so it's actually a, yeah. a box office split and it means that the actors can then all the money will be divided between all the artists that's made at the box office as yeah. opposed to any of the costs having to come out before that split takes place and I mean already everyone's kind of donating their time for free yeah. and um, it's really important you know yeah it's quite it's a, it's a really tricky thing for me because um, I value I'm an artist I value the artists and all the artists that are involved and it's really I want to ensure that they they get the most that they possibly can without kind yeah. of the arts to say funding or anything like that because we didn't obviously didn't get the arts to say funding so yeah. Um, yeah it means that the actor will get uh, the artist and the creative team will mm. get um, all the box office split yeah and it's not like even even you know if you reach the possible target and you sell out like this will everyone involved in the project is still not going to get what they would get if they're working full time for the number of hours they put in and have to put in to make a show like (laughs) absolutely not regardless of whether it works or not there's still so much love that has to go into any kind of art and especially work like this in the independent art sector absolutely it's not support it's not fully supported in the way that it should um and that you know that that's kind of just a as it is at the moment but yeah. I hope that at some point possibly we'll have to wait for the next well yeah, yeah. I'm going to go down that route but yeah I hope it does change at some point um, but yeah we all, all of us have donated a lot of time already and we're only, it's only 50 seats each yeah. show so that limits uh, kind of yeah how much yeah. we can actually make um, yeah it's very yeah such a, such a tough thing but so important that we have art in the world and that we have art Absolutely. that is made and you know and to feel things and all that kind of thing <laughs> so so important yeah um, yeah so, so the dates of the show you previewing the 27th to 28th of October exactly and we open on the 29th and then we run to the Saturday and then the following week we're on Wednesday Thursday Friday and we close on November the 7th um, and we initially wanted to run it for a bit longer, but because yep. we didn't get the funding and stuff, we kind of had to limit yeah. uh, into two weeks. And is it the kind of show, potentially, like, because you're going to be putting so many hours and hours and hours of work into it, is it something you can kind of pack up at the end of the season and potentially bring back, say, during a fringe or, you know, do a remount another down the track? Yeah, possibly. I mean, we are really kind of responding to the, the space. Yeah. So if we were able to have access to that space again and who knows what the future is of plant one i mean it may get demolished in the future yeah um so yeah if, if it's possible i'd love to remount the show so there's kind of more opportunities for people to access the work yeah and how have you found because obviously you've done you did uh, your macbeth i hate saying that word um <laughs> you did you did that play there as well last year um have you found how do you find kind of that mode increasing it seems to be kind of the area that's starting to really take off now so much investment in housing and things like that yeah i mean it's i live actually in that area as well so i'm kind of a local to it yeah um and it's been really great i know the kind of organic market is going to stop soon or it may well have already done but that was really great and it feels quite buzzy around there I think it is going, you know, there's obviously a lot of regeneration in that area. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm going to, you know, I think everyone should keep their eye on it. I think it might end up being kind of artistic hub. Yeah. yeah. And it's so close to town too. It's just really easy to it's get the tram throw, there and it? walk up from the tram or yeah, absolutely. boat and train station. So but there's easy. some great stuff happening there as well, like with regards to format and kind of 10th and Gibson, kind of the events that are going on there as well. So there's lots yeah. of exciting things happening there. And circuits are start there, aren't and they? circuits is there. Absolutely. My little boy goes to circuits. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, no, I'm a big fan of circuits. So, yeah, there's, there's lots going on there. Yeah. And each time I go past, like, I've been away three weeks, but just seeing kind of the development and how it look, they're looking like proper little flats now, kind of the yeah. area around 
uh, plant one and stuff. So, so I was down there. The, I was down that way the other week, and where there have been some of the old clips of buildings for forever and a big high fence, a lot of that's come down sort of in since I was last here. And it's like, oh, it's such an open space, so they're going to be able to do anything there. So similarly with the work as well. So uh, Eurydice is uh, playing at Plant One in Bowdoin uh, at the end of October, early November, mm -hmm. uh, but get in now and help support it with the possible campaign. The details are on our website, linkadelaide.com.au and our Facebook page, facebook.com uh, forward slash linkadelaide. You can also find Foul Play on Facebook mm -hmm. uh, to get all the details and follow the, pro for the process of the show in the lead up to the running of it. It should be an absolutely amazing experience. Uh, Yasmin, thank you for braving jet lag and oh, having a chat you. to me today and good luck with the project. Oh, thank you very much, Stephen. And don't miss Eurydice's by Sarah Rule and Foul Play Theatre. It is on at Plant One in Bowdoin. Uh, previews 27th and 28th of October. And then season runs from the 29th of October through to the 7th of November. All previews and performances at 7.30pm. Um, tickets and more details from Foul Play Theatre's Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Foul Play Theatre. For more, visit linkadelaide.com.au, check us out at facebook.com forward slash linkadelaide or tweet us at linkadelaide.